Father, we uh, praise you. You're the creator um, and the Lord of heaven and earth. Um, God, who, who, who are we that you are mindful of us? That you notice us, that you care for us, that you sustain us, and that you're kind to us. God, that's a testament to your glory. That's a testament to your greatness. It's a testament to your steadfast love and your faithfulness. God, as we open your word, we ask that you would reveal yourself, reveal um, your character, reveal your nature, reveal uh, the beauty and the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, and send your spirit to make our minds and our hearts attentive to your word and to your truth. And we pray, God, that as we encounter your word, uh, that, that you would be changing us, drawing our hearts to worship Jesus. Increasing our faith in Jesus, opening our eyes to his beauty, opening our eyes to our need for him, opening our eyes to his sufficiency. God, we pray as we discuss um, your church and look at uh, how your church is defined in its nature in scripture, God, we we pray that you would increase our affection um, for you as expressed as affection for loving your church and loving your people. So would you meet with us and would you uh, lead us in worshiping you as we open up your word? We pray it for your glory and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're starting a four-week four series um, on, on the church, which we're uh, calling Ecclesiology 101. Um, so just grab a word for you. Um, or you can just call it Church 101. Ecclesiology is the theology of the church. It's, a, it's a study, the study of the church. Um, and, and this is important um, for, for many reasons, but it's also important as a new church in a city to, to begin to get our bearings around what is, what is the church? What is it? Um, it, obviously, it, it has this component where you're here in a, in a fairly cold room and you're gathered with other people who are also cold, um, right? And you're, you're doing these things. But what is, what is the church? What is, what is the theological realities around this thing called the church? And when I ask this question, what is the church? I'm not asking, uh, I want you to think about that. What is the church? But don't think about it in terms of the expression of the church, like, well, a big church, a small church, a house church. No, what is the church in its essence, what is the church in its nature? Like beyond, oh, well, this church um, meets in the mornings or this church meets in the evenings or this church has a big band or this church is acoustic. Beyond the expressions, what is the church in its essence and its nature? Maybe your initial reaction right now was just struggling to think, well, this sounds great, but what is this going to have? What does this idea of the church have to do with with me and my problems and the struggles that I'm facing and the things that that are bearing down on me in life right now? And, and, And my answer would be everything. That if we understand the nature of the church. We're going to understand the nature of God. And that as we understand the nature of God, we're going to get understanding of ourselves. And we're going to see what it looks like to see God and his role and his presence in our lives in the midst of our problems and the issues that we have staring us down. So I think that the question, what is the church, matters on all of those levels. Um, I was recently reading something, and I I want to share it with you. This is a pastor... um, 
writing about somebody in his uh, in his congregation uh, who has worked prominently in New York City in like fashion houses and the fashion industry, and and how her life has begun to change um, as she's encountered the church. Uh, the, the, the pastor uh, writes this. He says, uh, but she had only started coming to church recently and her life has changed by joining a community that lives out their faith. She has learned to hear God's voice through word and worship and then implement what the Spirit prompts her to do in a secular, challenging work environment. It's changed her attitude, her demeanor, her relationship, even her work results. At a recent performance review, she was giving glowing praise for her latest work in leadership. When asked what had happened to bring about such a change, she replied, I joined a church. So somebody working in a, in a, in a cutthroat industry in a, in a tough city, and they have come to be a part of a, a community of believers, and there's such a drastic change in her life that at a performance review, the, the boss is asked, like what's, like, what's happened to you? I've joined a church. Right? Isn't that, isn't that phenomenal? Isn't that, inter- isn't that interesting? And here's what that, what that antidote is showing us, that, that being uh, the church is not just a thing that we go to. The church is not just a building. The church is not just an assembly or a gathering that we go to, although those things matter or they're important. Being a part of the church, the church in its essence is a spiritual reality. The church at its essence means you've entered into God's people. The church, in its essence, is not belonging to a social club or adding two activities into your week, but it's becoming part of God's people through the work of God's Son and entering into his family. I want to read uh, our text is 1 Peter 2. It's only two verses, um, but there's a lot there. And it gives us a glimpse at this nature of the church's question. What is the church and why does this mean? Why does this matter? So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter is, is, is writing to Christians who are suffering and who are, who are scattered. Um, and he's writing uh, to, to, to Gentiles, uh, non-Jewish people. And he's it's telling them uh, this in Second Peter, uh, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter is laying out what is true of this collection of, of believers, this collection of ragtag people who have put their trust in Jesus, who have heard the gospel and responded in faith by God's grace. And notice what he's, gonna, notice what he's laying out. He's, he's laying out a bunch of different things, um, but he's going to show us one of, the, one of the first things about the nature of the church is that the church is God-possessed. The church is God-possessed. Um, look at what we see in the text. If we throw that up there, look at what we see when we look at the text. Look at what he says. He says, look at, look at all that, the, the descriptions. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then we get the purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. No, notice what's happening here. Right, so next week we're going to talk about uh, proclaiming his, the excellencies of him who called you. That's, that's getting to the, uh, the mission of the church. 
okay? The, the purpose of the church. Today, we're talking about the nature of the church. What is it at its core? What is it at its essence? And notice what he's going to tell us. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And here, here's, here's a key phrase, a people for his own possession. So well, part of the nature of the church is that the church is a collection of people who are owned by God, who have been claimed by God, who have been redeemed by God, who have been called out by God, who have been purchased by God, who have had God look upon them and say, I see everything about you, but I'm still going to put this grace on you. I want you to be a part of my family. We belong to God through the work of Jesus. The church is a people that have received the grace of Jesus through faith in the work of Jesus. And notice, notice, notice some of the context here, right? Um, notice what, what, what Peter is laying out. He's saying, you, you've, been, you've been chosen. Grace has been put upon you. You're your people for God's possession. But look at this. Look at what he says. Called out of what? Called out of what? Darkness. I love this. Called out of darkness. Not called out of your goodness. Not God called you out of your light into God's light. You were called out of darkness into God's light. Do do you see what's happening here? Do you see what this says about the nature of the church? That the church is a collection of people who are in darkness but somehow, some way, through the work of Jesus, have been drawn out of that, have been changed by the heart, have been cut to the heart, and have encountered the grace of God in Jesus. Right, so for some of the context of this, this is called out of darkness for a lot of the hearers who would hear this, they would be thinking, oh, I did worship pagan gods. I did think of God this way. I did live a wild life. I did run and worship uh, these false, these literal false idols. I, I was living in this type of this type of spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness. But I can remember the conversation where someone laid out the gospel, and I can remember responding in faith to the good news of Jesus. And that's when God called me to Himself. That's when God redeemed me. That's when God saved me. And when God saved me, He didn't save me individually, but He saved me into a collection of ragtag sinners who've received grace called the church. I want you to see uh, the, next, uh, the next text. Um, this is from Exodus, which is, a book, um, which is a book in the Old Testament. It's right before the book um, where Bible reading plans go to die. Do you know what book that is? Uh, Leviticus. It's where your Bible reading plan is probably maybe dying right now. Um, I'm still in Exodus. I'm always behind. So I haven't hit the land of the dead yet. So I've, I've got a lot of motivation. I'm like, I'm going to admit this year. This year I'm going. I'm going. Right? But, but check in with me in a month, okay? Hold me accountable. Make, help me keep pressing. Um, Exodus. Leviticus is a great book. Um, Exodus. It really is. It really is. Sometimes we just don't know what to do with the sections. You've got to read it in big chunks. That, that, will, help you, that will help you keep going. Um, but that's another sermon. Um, so Exodus 19. I want you to notice the parallels between Exodus 19 and 1 Peter 2, okay? Um, so, so, so notice this. This will help us understand what does it mean that the church of God possessed? Why is that such a special thing? Uh, notice what Moses um, writes that God has told him to do in Exodus 19. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Do you hear, do you hear it? You guys see it, right? Just nod your head a little bit. Or you can bob if you want. Okay. All right. So, so we see that, right? We see the parallels here. What Peter is doing is he's showing us that the church is the fulfillment of what God was doing with Israel back, back in the day. He's showing us that the, the, the story that we're in, where God calls Israel out of slavery to Egypt, well, before that calls a, a crusty man named Abraham and says, I'm going I'm to bless you and bless the world through you, um, even though Abraham lies all the time. And he, he's, he's calling out a people uh, for himself, and not because they're a good people, but because God is good himself, and they're, they're, a, they're a rebellious people. They're, they're, a, um, they're a stubborn people, but God is calling them to himself, forming a people called Israel. But that's that's just a shadow of the real fulfillment where God wasn't going to call the people by a nation or an ethnicity, but he's going to call people from all nations, from all ethnicities, from all backgrounds, from all walks of life, and give them his mercy and grace in Jesus. And do you know what that people is called? That people is called the church. So when the original, some of these original readers that Peter is writing to with the, with the Jewish background, they're, they're going to hear uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and they're gonna, the, light, the lights are just flashing because they know this passage. They know the story. And they're saying, wait, you're telling me that I'm treasured the way Israel was treasured? You're telling me God delights over me? God, God wants me in that way? That God I'm that, even though I'm not Jewish by, by ethnicity, even though I've worshipped pagan idols, even though I've done all of these things, that's me? Peter says, yes, through the grace of Jesus. Called, purchased, and to be God-possessed as the church means that God desires us. Let this sink in. God desires you to be near to him, to be a part of his family, to, to, to be close to him. God desires you. God desires us. When, when, um, when Peter says that we're a, a chosen race, what he's saying there is that God desires us. God's the one who pursues us first. God's purpose to, to seek after us first. This means God desires us. Let this strike at your heart a little bit. Right? God looks at us, warts, baggage, sin, stubbornness. He sees all of that. And yet he still says, I want you. I desire you. And he comes after us in Jesus. Let this, let this sink in. God who is omniscient. God who is all-knowing. God who knows things about you that nobody else knows. God who knows you clearly at your worst does not turn away, but says, I desire you. If I can consider all of the things over these last seven days... Right, that, that may have offended God, that may have uh, belittled God in your thoughts or in your life or your actions. Those things don't make God turn away from you. God says, I desire you. I'm going to seek after you. I want you to be my people. So what this means is, in understanding the nature of the church, we begin to understand the nature of God. 
that God loves to seek after the lost, that God loves to draw us out of spiritual darkness into his family, into his community, into this group of redeemed sinners called the church. And we get to belong. That to be God-possessed is to be a people for God's own possession and is to be loved and accepted and desired by God. I want you to think about it like this. Like this. In the Exodus passage, God describes it as a treasured possession. I want you to think about things that you treasure. Right? This happens for me all the time when I get something new. Um, recently, I got new basketball shoes. So, I'm, so when I got them and brought them home, I'm like looking at them, looking at the box, kind of holding them in different light. And like I, I, I'm desi- I'm like, I, I treasure them. But I also, in my mind, I've done that enough with basketball shoes or, or things like that, that I know like in a week, like once they start smelling, when I get home, I'm just going to like throw them in the closet. But right now, they're new and they're fresh, so I really treasure them. So every time, so I played in them for the first time. Now I kind of put them right back in their box and make sure they're all lined up and the box is closed and, and that the logos are the right way and all that stuff. Because I'm excited. It's a new possession that I'm excited about. Spent a hard-earned $49.99 on them, and I treasure them, <laughs> right? Marshall's Downtown Crossing, great sneakers. <laughs> all on a budget, folks. These are hard times. Right, So I got them and I'm excited about them. right? But you know how we do these things with possessions, right? That's going to last for like two weeks. And then what was a treasured possession is not a treasured possession anymore until I find something new. But I want you to understand how God treasures his people. How God treasures you. How God treasures the church. Think of like a jewel. Right? I think this is some of the language in Exodus 19, a treasured possession. Think of like a jewel. In God's sight, the church is a jewel, a beauty, even though we're broken. In God's sight, it's beautiful. He treasures it, and he doesn't get bored with us. He doesn't get tired of you. He doesn't get tired of us. He treasures us infinitely. He treasures you infinitely. Where a lot of people right, might meet you and be interested for a little bit, then they learn all your quirks, and they're like, mm, you're boring. God treasures you. God treasures his people. He treasures the church. We're a prized possession, often described as God's inheritance. So I want you to understand that to be the church, the nature of the church is that we are God-possessed, which means we're desired, we're treasured by God. Second thing we, we see... Um, is that the church is God accepted. We, we have this radical acceptance by God. If, you, if we look at the text, one of the other descriptions that he gives, uh, that Peter gives for the nature of the church, is that we're a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. How many of you have thought of yourselves uh, as a priest? Right? Pro- probably, probably not often. Um, but, but scripture describes us as a, a royal priesthood. And then we see um, in 10 that we were once not a people, but now we are a people. This is a reference from Hosea 2. Um, but this big idea is that we, we've now, uh, 10 in, in this phrase, a royal priesthood, is that we've now come into this, this, this place of unprecedented acceptance from God. That the church is a collection of, of sinners redeemed by the grace of Jesus that have an unprecedented acceptance from the God of heaven and earth. 
Now, this, this, is, this is hard for us to understand because this idea of royal priests or priests and this idea of getting accepted by God, it, it doesn't hold much weight to us because I think our natural cultural default is, wait, you're, you're telling me God, like, I'm accepted by God? You're telling me he didn't accept me before? Like, why would he not accept me? Have you seen me? Do you know who I am? Like, we have this, we have this presupposition that we should be accepted by God in the first place, Right? So, so in a lot of ways, this is hard for us, even as a Christian, even here as a Christian. Sometimes the idea of being accepted by God does not sink into us deeply because we already kind of presume deep down within, well, like, of course I'm accepted by God. That's just what God does, right? He just accepts people like me. Well, we need to understand that's not, um, that, that's not an easy task that, that happens. There, there's something deep that has to happen behind us being accepted by God, behind me being accepted by God, behind you being accepted by God. And, and here this, this phrase, a royal priesthood, can help us begin to understand that how mind-blowing it is that there's a collection of sinners in this room and across the world that can say, we're the church, we're accepted by God Almighty. And here's how we can start to get the context behind that, is to understand the role of the priest throughout Scripture. So if we go back to the book where Bible reading plans go to die, right? And here, oh, I just had a great connection in my mind. If our Bible reading plans didn't die there, we would really understand this phrase, royal priesthood. But because our Bible reading plans die there, we don't really understand what this means, right? What a, what a great insight I just had. Wow. Did you guys, did you guys feel that? Did you feel that? That was, that was very powerful. Um, here, here's what we need to understand. In ancient Israel, who mediated the presence of God to the people? Who did that? Yeah, I know some of you are like, Jesus? Um, <laughs> in a fulfillment sense. Um, the priest, right? The priest, right? We were talking church. You guys can talk. Get up and dance if you want. We can, we can do it. Um, right? In ancient Israel, who mediated the presence of God? The priests. The priests mediated the presence of God. Who could go into the closest recesses of the temple where God dwelled and come nearest to God's presence? Who could do that? The priests. How often... Would the priests approach God in ancient Israel? A handful of times a year. What would the priests have to do in order to approach God in the temple? Those handful of times that they go. Yeah. Cleansing. They have to put on the ephod. They put on the robe with the stones of all the 12 tribes of Israel. They have to be born into the right lineage. They have to be clean. They have all sorts of stipulations of what they're eating, who who they're going near that's unclean, all of these things. In fact, we see in the place where Bible reading plants go to die, we see Nahab and Abihu go into the presence of God without following all of the stipulations. And they offer what scripture says, a strange fire. They, They come before God and kind of they're thinking, I can come before God, I can come in my own way and do what I need to do. And things do not go well for them. In fact, one of the constant commands in approaching God that we see in the scriptures is do not come any closer. 
There's this, this transcendence around God where there's this massive divide between a broken humanity and a holy and perfect, beautiful and glorious God to the point that even Moses, who is a mouthpiece for God, is told in Exodus 3.5, do not come any closer. The only one who can really come close is the high priest who can only come sort of close and must do everything right in order to come somewhat close to the presence of God. But yet Peter is saying that this ragtag group of sinners called the church who have been redeemed by Jesus, Peter is saying, hey, hey, we're priests now. We're a royal priesthood. We can come near, whereas before the, the, the response was don't approach or approach rightly and carefully. Now, in the new era, because of the work of Jesus, because Jesus is our mediator, because Jesus is our savior. Now, do you see what the, the new era says? Your priests come. You have access. Come. You're welcomed. Come. Do, 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 you, do you see what this means? This means through Christ, who has brought us into God's people, the church, we have access to God in an unprecedented way. So think about it like this. We have first class worship rights. We have ongoing, continual access before the God of heaven and earth. Verse 10 says, we were once not his people. We were once in darkness. We were once cut off from God. Now we have first class ongoing access through his grace offered to us in Jesus. Right? God is not simply available to us when we, when we need him or when we're doing good or, or when, when things align perfectly. God is always near, always present, always for us because through Christ we have become a people who are accepted by God. I want, you, I want us to sink in and understand what this means. You know what this means? This means those moments where you've uh, messed up, you've sinned, you've maybe forgot about God for, for a stretch of time and you have this sense where like, oh, I, I need to like pray, I need to open my Bible, I need to go back to church, I need to get into Christian community. And then you have this nagging feeling like, ah, is he going to want me? Or you get this sense of feeling like, I need to do a few good things and then I'll pray. Because then, then, I'll, then I'll feel a little bit better about balancing the scales and a little bit better about approaching. That, that's, that's garbage. That's completely untrue. That's a, that's a deficient understanding of the nature of the church. The fact that we are accepted by God. We are seen by God in a new light with total acceptance because of the work of Jesus. To the point that God says, you're my royal priest. You have access anytime. You have acceptance completely. And in fact, we'll talk about this next week. Just as in Israel, the priests mediated the presence of God to the people, the church now gets to serve as this mediating presence between God and the world by bringing them the good news that brought us out of darkness so they can come on in too. So let me, let me tell you this. There is no back row access. There's no second class Christian or believer. We have first class access because we are God accepted as the church through the work of Jesus. And, and the, the, way this, the way this happens 
is through is through the blood of Jesus. First Peter one nine says uh, one nineteen says this: We're reconciled to God through the precious blood of Christ. This is so good and so frank. You know what this means? The reason you have ongoing, complete acceptance in front of God, from God to God, is not your devotion. It's not your merit. It's not your pedigree. It's not your background. It's not how good you've been the last four days. It's not how devoted you've been the last month. It's not how well your Bible reading has gone in 2016. It's not any of those things. It's because Christ took your punishment in your place, shed his blood to restore you to God, to bridge the gap between you and God. And you know what that means? Because it's by the work of Christ, that cannot be undone. Do you understand that if we're accepted by God through our devotion, through our merit, through our Bible reading, through the thing right now that you feel guilty about, if that's the ground of our acceptance before God, do you know what that means? That means we have to maintain that. That means we have to maintain it and we have to get it to a level where it's somehow acceptable to God, which that level is not possible. But because we're accepted by the work of Jesus, that means it can't be undone and we're always secure. That every, every insecurity you have related to you and God is from a deficient understanding of the work of Jesus Christ in the nature of the church. That if we understand the nature of the church as we are a God-accepted people through the blood of Jesus, oh my goodness, everything begins to change. Everything begins to change. So we need to understand we are a God-accepted people. We're a royal priesthood. And here's how all of this happens. There's more I want to say, but here's how all of this happens. Right? This happens through the work of Jesus Christ, who in Hebrews 5 is called our what? Our high priest. That where the priests in ancient Israel would go in and they would sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice upon the altar seat, to pacify God's holy justice and make God's people acceptable in his sight. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the role of the priest who comes not into a temple, but actually goes to a cross before God, doesn't give another uh, animal as a sacrifice, but sacrifices himself so that we can have access, we can be welcomed by God eternally. That Jesus is the high priest who makes a broken humanity accepted before God, brings us into the church. That Jesus himself is even called the head of the church who leads its mission. Jesus himself is called the Lord of the church who appoints leaders and gives gifts and gives uh, the Holy Spirit to us so we can know his love and tell others of his love and follow him faithfully. Jesus is called the bridegroom over his bride, the church. That means he treasures us. He loves us. He delights over us as a perfect husband does to his bride, that Jesus is all of these things to the church. That we are treasured by God because of Jesus. We are accepted by God because of Jesus. And that is now the nature and essence of God's people. And that is the nature and the truth of you through faith in Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand this. When you think of yourself, understand that, yeah, 
If you trust Jesus, you're just an ordinary Christian, but you are treasured by God. You are a jewel in his sight. You are accepted in his sight. And understand this, the church, this ragtag collection of believers across the world, the, the universal church, is ordinary, but it's a jewel in God's sight. It's treasured in God's sight. When you meet with a group of believers to sing in worship, it's ordinary, but it's beautiful in God's sight because it's brought about by the work of Jesus. When you meet, meet with believers in, a, in your uh, gospel community and you pray and you have a meal and you have a discussion that sometimes feels awesome and sometimes it feels like you're pulling teeth, understand it's ordinary, but it's beautiful in God's sight because it's a part of the people that he's purchased by his blood. Through Jesus, we are God-possessed, God-accepted. And when we understand the nature of the church, our understanding of the nature of God changes, and our understanding of ourselves as a people and individually begins to change. All centers on Christ. 